Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. Matthew today, chapter 16, and we're going to continue this, this series on, um, on spiritual warfare. If you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you, please go check out the message on YouTube where we talked about uh, spiritual warfare. What is it? How do we fight it? But we're going to continue on that series today, and the title of my talk is I've Got the Keys. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've got the keys. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I've got the keys. If I could say that in Spanish, I would say it, but I do not know how to say it. So Matthew 16, verse 17, here we go. Yeah, I know that part. I don't know the rest of it. I know Yahweh says keys. I don't know the rest of the sentence. Here we go. It says this, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. On, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell and death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This response by Jesus follows this amazing interaction with Peter and Jesus and the disciples that we may know. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? They say, some say a prophet, some say Elijah, some say Moses. And then he says, who do you say that I am? Peter steps up and he says, you are Christ. You are the son of the living God. And then in response, Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You are now called Peter, which is a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is an amazing, incredible, outstanding discourse on spiritual warfare, whether we realize it or not. First of all, Peter is making a declaration of who Jesus really was, which is the ultimate declaration of spiritual warfare. He is saying, now is the time that, that, that I have come down from heaven, the perfect sinless sacrifice. I am Christ. I am the son of God. And I am making a declaration on the enemy that I am coming for you. And now the revelation has not just come to God, but now the first revelation of man is saying, you are that. You are the one that the scriptures have talked about. And he's saying that this is, on that revelation, I will build my church. And I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. But the question today is what do those keys open? Right, because keys are meant to open something or ignite something or give you access to something. So the first thing is we have to understand these keys are twofold. The keys are not to control access to the kingdom of heaven, but to enjoy access to the kingdom of heaven. Because of this revelation of who Jesus is, we can now enjoy access to the kingdom that Jesus has offered us. Without Jesus, we could not enter the kingdom of God. Without Jesus, we could not operate in the kingdom of God. Without Jesus, we could not think like the kingdom of God. We couldn't give in the kingdom of God. We couldn't have the perspective of the kingdom of God. Because of Jesus, he has given us the keys to, he has, and he has opened the door and given us access to the kingdom of God. The problem that is that we think that we control that access, that we choose when we go in and out of it. But God has said, it's not about control. It's actually about losing control and it's about enjoying access. Too often as Christians, we think that these keys are just for what we can control and try to manipulate God to do. And we fail to enjoy the fact that we can be in his kingdom in the first place. And God's kingdom is God's effective rule or God's effective working. So what is this? We can actually have access to how God works. 
You've ever wondered how God works? Being in the kingdom of God, he'll show you. You ever wondered how God thinks? He'll show you. We have the mind of Christ, the attitude and the approach of Christ himself. God wants to show you how he thinks. He wants to show you how he works. In fact, the kingdom of God is a family business and he's invited us to join the family business. And he wants to show you how does this business work. So when we are called disciples of Christ, really the way that we could look at it is to be an apprentice in learning the family trade. We're learning how to think like God, look like God, talk like God. We're learning how to be representations of God. And the only way we can do that is to have access to the kingdom of God, the effective work of God. That's number one. The second fold of what it is, is, is it's given us authority. It says whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is that? It's the authority to bind up the things that are not of kingdom in your life and to get rid of them with the Holy Spirit. That with the Holy Spirit, he wants you to bind up things that are no longer the kingdom of God and get rid of them. And he wants you to release the things that are the kingdom of God and the ways that God thinks and the way that God sees the world and the way that God, he wants to release transformation in your life. This is what it means to bind and to loose. He wants to bind up the things that no longer belong with you. Because guess what? When we enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of self is no longer compatible. You cannot serve the kingdom of God and serve the kingdom of self. So the issue is this, that we have access, and it's not just about the access, but now we have to understand we have the authority through the Holy Spirit to get rid of the things that are no longer compatible with the kingdom of God in which we live in now. This is what he's talking about, the keys to the kingdom. But today I want to look at this. I want to look at doors in which the keys will open, because for every good key is a door in which it opens. If you don't know which door it's opening, you may not, there's no point for the key, right? If you don't know what this gives you access to, then why is the point of having the keys itself? So not only does it have the access to the kingdom of God, it not only gives you authority to, to bind up and to release, you know, bind up the things that are not compatible and release the kingdom of God, but I wanna look in the book of Revelation at four doors that we see in the book of Revelation that we now have access to because the keys to the kingdom. Now, some of you thought the book of Revelation was only about left behind, but there's something more than to the book of Revelation, amen? And I'm not totally convinced Left Behind has nailed the book of Revelation all that good. We love you, Kirk Cameron. Revelation chapter three, here we go. Revelation chapter three, here we go. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, I write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who has opened, who opens, what no one will shut and who shuts what no one will open. I know your works and behold, I have set before you an open door, say an open door. No one is able to shut. I know that you are, have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The first door that we have to understand gives us the keys to the kingdom is the door that we all want. This is the door we all want. You know what door that is? The open door. This is the door we pray for. This is the door we dream about, the open door, the access, the opportunity, the open door. So he said before I had given you the open door. So this door is twofold. The first we have to look at when it says it's given the key of David and he's saying, I will open a door that no man can shut. That's talking about salvation. David, Jesus is the second David. He's a type and shadow. You know, David was a type and shadow of Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill what David could not as a man. And he has given us access to the kingdom of God. So he's saying, I, I am the one who opens access to salvation. I am the one. No one can shut that door but you, if you choose to reject it. But I am the one who opened the door. You didn't open the door. See, the problem is when we come to salvation, we think we open the door of salvation. 
because we've been good and we've done these things. No, 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 God opened the door. Without God, we don't have access to, to put our faith in God. So he opened the door to give us the ability to be saved, transformed, and set free by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So this is, we have to understand. So that he's writing to people that are in a place of limited supply, persecution on their jobs. They, they are losing their jobs. They're losing their finances. They're being persecuted. They're being put to death. They're being imprisoned. And he's saying, I'm looking at you and there is an open door in your life. There is always work to do. See, you don't have work in the natural. Guess what? There's work in the kingdom. You don't have supplies in the natural. I have supply all of your needs. Everything that you need, I will give you in the kingdom of God. Live in what I have given you access to. But the second fold is this. First, it's the open door of salvation, come on in Jesus' name. The second is the open door of opportunity to advance ministries. These are open doors of ministry. He's saying, God will open up doors for you to advance the kingdom of God. Not only will God open the door for you to live in the kingdom of God, but he wants to open up doors in our lives to advance the kingdom of God. He wants to put you in arenas and spheres that you could have never been in and you are not qualified for. He wants to put you on platforms that you have no idea how you got to. He wants to put you in front of people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these are the opportunities that we want, right? We all pray for more money to advance the kingdom of God. God, open up the door of my finances. Give me the money so I can advance the kingdom. We pray for this because this is what we want and it's a good desire to have. But can I tell you something? You don't have control over it. You don't open those doors. Just as much as you couldn't open the door to salvation, we cannot force the doors open to opportunity in which God is trying to do. See, God will open these doors for us if he trusts us and, he is get, and if our character is being developed in him, but we cannot force open the doors. See, we spend so much time wanting and praying over the things that only God has control over. And we get mad when God doesn't give us that platform, when God doesn't give us that opportunity, when God didn't open up that arena and we, and we fail to steward the doors he has opened. What doors has God opened? What are the people that God has put you in front of? What are the places that God has positioned you in? Steward the doors that God has opened. 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says this, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. Rarely, if ever, does an open door from God come without adversaries, come without pressure, come without persecution, come without pushback. In fact, if there's not adversaries, if there's not pushback, if there's not pressure, it may not be an open door from God. It just may be an open door from you. Because oftentimes when we, we step through the open door of God, guess what? The enemy wants to attack what we're trying to, when we try to advance the kingdom of God. Anytime we try to advance the kingdom of God, the enemy is trying to stop that because he knows the moment we advance it, he can't stop it. He can, once light comes into darkness, darkness ceases to exist. So he wants to do anything he can to stop you from walking through the open doors that God is. So there, there will be adversaries. Now, let me say this. Sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes the greatest adversary to your open door, guess who it is? Me. You. It says this in 1 Peter. It says some of you are suffering because you are murderers, you are meddlers, and you are thieves. And some of you are suffering for the cause of Christ. So he's saying this. Some of our suffering is our own fault. Some of the adversaries that you are facing is because you are not choosing to face the things in your life that are destroying this and that are hindering you from walking through the open door. But there are some things that will come against you when you walk through the open doors that God has presented before you in this life. But only God can open that door. And it says this, that he will open a door and no one can shut it. No one can shut the door of salvation. 
says nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from that door. Nothing can close you from that door. The devil cannot close the door of salvation. The devil cannot close what God has to offer you. So sometimes we've got to stop saying, well, the devil did this, the devil did that. Walk through the door that God has opened because the devil cannot close it if God opened it. Can't. And the second thing he can't do is he cannot disqualify you from the doors that God has given you for your opportunity. Romans 8 verse one says, now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, which in modern language, let's put it this way. It says, there is no such thing as being unfit for use in Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as being disqualified if God has qualified you. There's no such thing as God shutting the door because of maybe what you used to do. If God has set you free and God has given you a door, guess what? No one can shut it and no one can disqualify it. But I go back to, this is the door we want, but only God can open it. Only God can open it. Number two, this is the door we worry about. This is the door we worry about. And it says this, who shuts doors that no one will open. What is the door we worry about? What is the door we have anxiety about? The door we give all our prayers to is the doors that God shuts in our life. The relationships that God removes from your life. The opportunities that God didn't give you the things that God didn't do, the things that you are mad about and angry about right now because you thought that you deserved it, but God didn't give it to you. That's the door we worry about is the closed door. And it says the door, when God closes the door, guess what? You're not opening it. God has given you free will so you can choose to bust through the door and keep going. But what's happening is this, now you have removed yourself from what God is trying to do in your life. God will close door for two reasons, either for your, for, 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 protection and for purpose. He will close doors for your protection and for your purpose. So when God is closing a door, it's not for rejection, it's for redirection. God is saying, that's not the pathway that I'm trying to get you to go. That's not the direction I want you to go. I have something different for you. You wanna see this in scripture, Acts 16 says this, and when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having forbidden by the Holy Spirit, speak the word of Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, did not allow them to go to that region. And right after this, we see something crazy happen. Paul and Silas go to Philippi, and they meet a lady named Lydia by the river, and there was a girl with the spirit of divination or the spirit of Python. There's a man named Pastor Jensen. He has a great book called The Spirit of Python. You should read it. Um, plug right there, amen? So he casts out the spirit of Python, casts out the spirit of divination. They freak out because they were making money off of her and they send him to jail. And then what did they have? They had a Holy Spirit worship service and the chains broke open and the doors open. Come on in Jesus name. They, you know that they were Pentecostals because they were making the place shake because they were stomping their feet. Amen. What happened with the redirection? They wanted to go somewhere. They had a plan to preach here. They had a plan for opportunity here, but God says, no, I need you to go here because the church in Philippi was born because of that redirection. And it was the church in Philippi who actually supplied the needs to other churches in the region, even though they were in extreme poverty. It says the church in Macedonia, even though you are in extreme poverty, you are still generous. God birthed something so special in Philippi and a place that people loved their citizenship of Rome. They became citizens of heaven because God redirected them to a place that they weren't planning on going in the first place. So we see that redirection could be for purpose, but redirection can also be for your protection. Sometimes God closes doors, not because he's angry at you, but because he's protecting you. 
He's keeping you from going places that you are not equipped to fight yet. You are battles that you are not ready for. See that in Exodus 13, 17 through 18, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near or was the fastest route. For God said, let the people ch- lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led his people around the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up to the land equipped for battle. See, they were equipped for battle, but they weren't equipped for that battle. See, you're not victims. You are victorious, but there are some battles that you don't need to fight yet. There are some things that God's saying, you're not ready for that yet. And God will never give you a temptation that will go beyond what, in which you can bear. So he's saying there's sometimes he closes the door. There's sometimes he doesn't give you that promotion because your character can't handle it yet. There's sometimes that God says, no, 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 not yet. I'm going to take you this way. Just trust me. John chapter two, they said they want Jesus to do miracles. And it says Jesus did not do it because he did not entrust himself to the people because they wanted him for what he could do. They didn't want him for him. Understand this, love, the love of God is unconditional, but the trust of God is not. God can love you, but he doesn't have to trust you. There are some times that God wants to give you more of his power, but he does not trust your character yet because God will never give someone power in which their character cannot sustain. So God's power and God's character work hand in hand. So there are some things that God's got to work out in your character and there's battles that he knows are coming down if you go this way saying, hey, I'm going to close this door and redirect you out of protection for you. There are people that are being removed from your life right now that you are fighting to keep them in your life And God is saying, hey, I'm actually removing them for your protection. There are opportunities that you have not received yet because he's protecting you. There are things that God wants to do to protect us that we think he's doing to reject us. God is not a God who rejects. He's a God who protects. He's a God who loves. He's a God who sends. He's a God who moves. He's a God who gives life, doesn't take life. So God is saying, listen, trust, obey. That's the way of being an apprentice of Christ. But this is the door that we worry about. This is the door we get anxious about. This is the door that keeps us up at night. It's the door of, that, that, that we're closed, the opportunities that could have been, the things that we wish would have happened. And God is saying, stop worrying about those things because I redirected you both for your purpose and for your protection. The third door that we see in Revelation is this. Revelation 3 verse 20 is, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will open the door and I will come to him and he with him and he with me. The third door is the door that we neglect. The door we neglect. This is out of all the doors that we will talk about today, this is the only one that we have control over. And that's the door of our heart. We don't have control over the doors that are open to us. We don't have control over the opportunities that are given to us. We don't have, opportun- we don't have control over even the doors that are necessarily shut to us, but we do have control over our heart. We have control over intimacy with Christ intimacy with who he is, relationship with God. And this is the only thing that we can do. Nobody can repent for you. Only you can repent for you. No one can actually invite God into your relationship and invite him into everything except for us. See, our charge as believers and as disciples of God is to invite him into every area of our life, invite him into our work, invite him into our thinking, invite him into our space. And God is not going to force himself in it because it wouldn't be real, but he will stand here and knock and knock and knock and saying, hey, I am here for you. Are you ready? I want to offer you what you need. So some of us, we are actually believers in God and we've had the open door to the kingdom of God, but we actually don't enjoy the access of God because we don't have intimacy with God. You cannot enjoy 
the access to the kingdom of God if you don't have intimacy with God himself. And intimacy has to come from invitation. Intimacy cannot be forced. Intimacy cannot be fake. Intimacy cannot be, uh, you know, fabricated. It has to be an invitation into. Invitation into relationship, an invitation into transformation. See, the understand is this, it's, it, this is the door that we have control over, but we oftentimes neglect intimacy. We, ne we neglect intimacy getting angry about the doors that we wish would open. We neglect intimacy about angry about the doors that were closed. We get so mad about the things we wish God would do for us when God is saying, all I want you to do is be with me and trust me and I can give you what you need if you allow me to be in relationship and have intimacy with me. See how I see things, see how I say things, see how I live, see how I move, see how I work, learn the family business. Be someone who learns the work of God, the kingdom of God and the action of God. Learn how I do things and I am standing at the door of your heart and I am knocking. This follows a very famous passage, and if you grew up in church, you know what I'm about to say. But it says this, I, God would rather you be hot than, or cold, but if you are lukewarm, he's gonna spew you out your mouth. Right, I was a pastor's kid growing up, so I was always afraid of being spewed out of God's mouth, amen? Every weekend, my mom's like, he'll spew you. Like, oh, I'm gonna go hang out with my friends. Are you lukewarm? I'm like, I don't know, you know, maybe. Right? And so we've created this false dichotomy from this verse. We think that what the author is saying is that God would rather you not be saved than to, to be someone who lacks intimacy, right? So you'd rather you be, God would rather you be cold, man. He'd rather you just not be saved. No, no, God wants you to be saved. God wants you to, to, to walk in relationship, but he doesn't want you to not be saved. Because that was my response to my mom. She says, he'll spew you. I'm like, all right, then I'll just be cold. You know, I'll be ice cold. Like I, am like, I was kind of a punk. I had to get healed. Amen. Come on. Thanks for restoration and transformation. Amen. Come on. What was the issue? What was really the context? Well, let's understand this. Where he was writing is the church in Laodicea. And Laodicea was, was positioned in between two different springs of water. To the south was a ice cold beautiful, pure spring of water in which that was the drinking water. They created an aqueduct into the city where they would use this as their drinking water. To the north was this place. It was a spiritual place. It was a, it was a, a very, you know, where they had spiritual experiences and to the north was a hot spring. And in these hot springs, people would come. You ever been to a hot spring? You know I'm talking about the type of people that it attracts? Different, okay? Love them. I went to the hot springs in Ojai. Clothes were not required. And I was like, what am I doing here, okay? Crazy, love you if you go to hot springs, but this is it. Okay, so this is a, a very spiritual experience. This is a spiritual place and this is what would happen. During the summer, the cold ice, pure cold water of drinking water would dry up because of the heat of the summer. And then they would have to, out of desperation because the water had dried up, then create a channel from this hot spring and start using that as their drinking water. And they would do this and it would actually poison them from the inside out because it was not good for them. It had things in there that would actually kill them from the inside out. So the point that he's making is this, when the well dries up is when you go to the things that actually kill you from the inside out. So when we lack intimacy with God and we don't have the rivers of living water flowing through us and we close off that channel by closing that door, what happens is, is then we, we go back to the things that we intake that actually are killing us. The self-destructive patterns that God has set you free from, the things that God is telling you to repent from, God is saying, get that out of your life. It is killing you. 
spew it out, get rid of it. It would be better not to, to, to drink that water than to drink it and die from the inside out. It would, be better, it would be better to suffer from the things that you think because you have to reject it than to keep doing it and to kill you slowly from the inside out because the enemy wants you to reject intimacy so then you go back to the things that are actually killing you. Amen. Jesus talks about repentance. I heard a quote this from a pastor, and it's not, not here, and he said, I don't preach repentance, I preach Jesus because Jesus will bring you to repentance. Which, yeah. It, oversimplification of a term that's actually not the truth. We preach what Jesus preached. And what did Jesus preach? He preached repentance. I know that's not popular in 2021, but it's true. So sometimes this is what we do. We oversimplify things in the Bible so we can tweet it or put it on Instagram and it sounds good, but it actually may not be true. So we've oversimplified a concept of called repentance. And when we think of repentance, that means we always have to run to the altar and always be in shame and always be in guilt. That's not what repentance is, but repentance is necessary. And so when he's saying he's standing at the door of your heart, get this, God is knocking saying, hey, get rid of that. It's destroying you. It's killing you from the inside out. Your anger, it's killing you. It's not fit. It's not fit for the kingdom anymore. Repent and repenting is aligning your confession, aligning your thinking and aligning your life with the word of God. So what does God say about that sin and then turn away from it? The problem is when we read scripture, we think when it says this is sin, we think, well, God's wrong. I'm not wrong. So when God says that if you hate somebody in your heart, that is murder. We're like, he doesn't really mean that. Like, like, you know, the context, you know, I read a commentary on Blue Letter Bible that said he may not or may have meant that. What's the issue there? We are saying the Bible's wrong. I'm right. When our response, repentance is saying, oh, so even though they did me wrong, I have to forgive them? And if I don't and I hate them, it's as if I'm murdering them in my heart? That's difficult. And that's what it means to be an apprentice of Christ. It's countercultural. God is asking you, repent. So there's addictions in your life that you keep on doing, you keep going back to. I don't want to minimize it, but we're saying, hey, I can't get set free. God's saying, no, no, repent. You can be free. You can be whole. You can be restored. There are things, and God is asking, say, turn. <laughs> Jesus preached repentance. He did. You know, but everyone's an oppressor now. You hear that term? I'm gonna talk about it a little bit. We're all oppressors, okay? You're gonna hear about it all the time. And guess what, it's gonna get worse. Can I tell you, what, how did Jesus deal with oppressors? Because there is theology now that says that Jesus is here just to politically overthrow oppressors and uplift people. You know that? But what, did, what was his answer to a political oppressor? a systematic oppressor. Can I tell you? Says, if someone says, take my bag a mile, go, says, hey, take this a mile. I say, go too. Do you know that law was? A Roman centurion with 75 pounds of weight of gear could go up to any Jewish citizen and say, hey, you need to carry my bag for a mile because you're a Jewish. You're Jewish, you're, you're a Jew, you have to carry it. And you know what they'd have to say? Okay, whatever you say. Because it was law. It wasn't right. Jesus wasn't justifying the law that was wrong, but what are you saying? This is how the kingdom responds. If someone says, go a mile, 
don't argue with them. Don't tweet at them. Don't Instagram them. Don't do a whole parade and do a whole protest. This is what I want you to do. Go to. Say, hey, you're trying to oppress me, but I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna give to you because that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is countercultural. The thing that the people that hate you and persecute you, God says, love. Someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other one. Come on, I'm here for you. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. You can hate me. You can cuss me. You can persecute me, but I'm not going anywhere. And I'm gonna tell you this, just as every cost of inflation is going up in society, so is the cost of following Christ. You think it's gonna get easier? You think that somehow society is gonna make this? It's not. But let me, let me tell you this. God is saying, hey, I'm standing at the door. You can make it because I'm with you. But the problem is this. The reason why some of us don't make it is because the only intimacy we have with God is on a Sunday or on YouTube or on a podcast and all of these things. And God is saying, yes, that's good, but there is so much more. And right now God is standing at the door of your heart saying, there are things that are killing you from the inside out that if you allow me to get rid of them, I can set you free. God can put on display a kingdom that the kingdom of darkness cannot compete with. But the problem is this, we don't let him into that and we consume things that are killing us. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about being someone who just clocks in and clocks out and is being mean. I'm talking about being someone who's an apprentice of the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but I wanna know the family business. I wanna see how God works. I wanna see how God moves. I wanna see how God speaks. I wanna see, God, how would you address the person that's coming against me? How would you address the person who's hating on me? God, God how would you do it? God, how do you see my finances? How do you see my business? How do you see my education? How do you see my family? How do you see my marriage? God, I wanna learn how you do it. I don't wanna do it how I do it because I just mess it up. The issue is in modern Christianity, we think we are the solution when in fact we are the problem. But intimacy will produce the fourth door and it's the door that we really need. It says this in Revelation 4 verse one. This is after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And first the voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Intimacy will give you and will produce the perspective of heaven. Perspective and spiritual warfare is the most powerful thing that you have. How do you see the problem that you are facing? How do you see it? Because what God is saying here, he's saying, when you have intimacy, God will actually open up the door of heaven and say, hey, let me show you how heaven sees this. I know you're facing these things, these pressures, persecutions, power, these things against you. Guess what? Let me show you how heaven sees it. Let me show you what's really going on. Let me show you what's happening in the spiritual realm. See, this happened, and even in the verse that we started with, Simon started with the perspective of God. Peter, only God could have revealed to you who I am. That's the perspective of heaven. And he had victory. Do you wanna know what happened right after that? I'll tell you. Matthew 16, verse 23 says, but he turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. The enemy wants to get us focused on self. What is pride? Pride is perspective of self. You only see things through the lens of you. 
Peter had victory. Peter had a revelation, yet immediately the perspective that was given only by God, he went back to the perspective of man. Because Jesus said this, he says, now I have to go and die. Now you know who I am, I have to go and die. Peter says, no, 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 no way, you can't do that. We got you, bro. We're gonna protect you. He says, no, no, you're actually hindering me with that, that way of thinking. You're hindering what God wants to do. Your perspective is hindering what I'm trying to do. So get behind me. Why? Because Jesus knew something. The enemy knew who he was. The demons knew who he was, but they didn't know what he was here to do. This is what's crazy. They knew who he was. It was all a spiritual battle, but they didn't know what he's here to do. So when Jesus went to the cross, guess what? The enemy thought he won. He was telling all the demons in hell, we did it. We did it. We got rid of him. God thought he could win. Yahweh thought he could win, but no, he can't. We got him. We got him. We killed him. And guess what they got? They got a knock on the door. Knock, knock. Came down to the gates of hell and says, hey, give me those keys. Those are mine now. Death, hell, grave, it's mine. I have victory. So Jesus says, don't hinder this because it's so much bigger than you. Spiritual warfare, you wanna know God's perspective of death, hell and the grave? Death can't defeat us. Why? Because we live forever with Jesus. Hell can't defeat you because it's weak and ineffectual because Christ went down to the door and says, those are mine. No longer do you have power and reign over my people, but I am giving them access to a kingdom that will destroy the kingdom of darkness. I'm giving them access to a God that is for them and not against them. I am giving them access to victory, not to being a victim. I am giving them access and I'm gonna take this from you. The power you thought you had, the control you thought you had is no longer. And I'm gonna show them that I win, not you. And he caught him by surprise. The enemy wasn't ready for it. And he said, give me that. And now guess what? We can look, looking back with the perspective of heaven and say, hey, we win. Why is perspective power and, powerful in spiritual warfare? Because you're looking at it through the perspective of the one who already won. God defeated your sin, you didn't defeat your sin. God defeated death, you didn't defeat death. God defeated hell, you didn't defeat hell. And because of Jesus, we have victory, not just in the life to come, but in the life now. We can be those who operate in the family business now. God wants to have business people in this way, not be thinking like a business person of the world, but someone who's thinking like the kingdom of God. That anytime you make a business deal, it's not just to make you money and say, hey, how can I advance the kingdom? How can I see people get saved? Those who are in the medical field, God's gonna give you ideas to heal bodies. Cause not only does God heal supernaturally, but I believe he heals through science. He can heal through people. God can heal any way God wants to heal. And the kingdom of God is waiting for apprentices and disciples to say, hey, I'm grabbing onto that perspective. The one that says I'm building this on my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not the one that says, get behind me, Satan, because I'm focused on me. The problem is in spiritual warfare, we make it all about us. Well, God, can't believe you're letting me go through this. When really we should be saying, God, I can't believe you're allowing me to go through this. This is awesome. You trust me that much. You believe in me that much. You know that, come, God, I thank you. I know that you are working this out for my good. Oh, the things that you, oh, come on in Jesus' name. And guess what? Guess what? Perspective will help you know who's at fault. 
There are some times there's attacks against you that are definitely the enemy, that are definitely the, spirit, uh, the spiritual warfare, but there are some times that are attacks that are you. You are creating these attacks. You are doing it to ourselves. We are consuming the things that are destroying us and the perspective of heaven will say, hey, that's not the devil, that's you. And then you repent, say, God, forgive me. There's no such thing as repentance without responsibility. Sometimes we need to take responsibility for our own actions and say, okay, God, set me free, set me free. But this is real. And God is saying this, he went down to the door and says, hey, give me those. Can we stand to our feet right now? There's victory right now. Jesus went down to death, hell, and the grave, and he brought victory. So you do not have to lose, amen? Can we lift our hands from the perspective of heaven? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.